Hi, Mike Gibson and Philip Wells coming to you live from ACC 2017. Philip, talk to us a little bit about Rivaroxaban versus aspirin in extended duration or extended treatment of VTE. Well, Mike, as you know, today we presented the results of the Einstein Choice Study in which patients who had a need for ongoing anticoagulation, or at least the physician felt there was equipoise for a need for ongoing anticoagulation, were randomized to 10 milligrams of rivaroxaban, 20 milligrams of rivaroxaban, or 100 milligrams of aspirin. And the results were very favorable for uh, rivaroxaban. So the 10 milligram group had a recurrent VTE rate of 1.2%, and the 20 milligram group had a 1.5% rate, and the aspirin rate was 4.4%. So needless to say, in a study of over 3,300 patients, this was statistically significant. Hazard ratios were around 0.26 or 0.3, um, high, high p-values, showing that the efficacy is clearly in favor of either of those two doses of rivaroxaban. But the great news was also that there wasn't an increased risk of major bleeding. So 0.5% with 20 milligrams, 0.4% with the 10 milligrams of riv, and with the aspirin, 0.3% of patients had major bleeding. That's ISTH major. ISTH categorization, mm -hmm. that's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and presumably even further, it'd be even fewer if it had been something mm -hmm. like Timmy or some other approach, sure. other, uh, scoring system, of course. So we're hoping that lends a, a, a sort of credibility to the need to continue anticoagulation in this patient population because real world evidence suggests that they're not being anticoagulated, mm -hmm. that maybe only 40% of patients are receiving extended anticoagulation mm -hmm. when it's indicated. Mm -hmm. So all in all, a uh, very exciting result for us. Yeah. I had someone close to me, had a PE, stopped their anticoagulation, had another PE. You know, yeah. this is a big issue. Yeah. You know, uh, prior VTE is a big risk factor for subsequent VTE. Absolutely. I mean, we yeah. realize now it's really a chronic disease in many patients. Mm -hmm. um, probably, really, maybe 80% of all patients who develop VTE, it's a chronic disease. The only yeah. subset where it's not is the post-surgical cases. And those patients, you treat them for three months, their risk of recurrence is low, it's about 1% per year. Pretty much impossible to balance risk-benefit ratio when your risk is only 1% for recurrence. But all these other patient populations deserve a yeah. thought about long-term anticoagulation. You know, it's interesting you say it's a chronic disease. Over on the arterial side, there's more and more data showing even out to two years, people who had ACS, they have an elevated set point of thrombin generation compared to the control patients. A little bit like cholesterol, you know, some of us have a different set point in thrombin generation. Anything on the venous side that yeah. says these folks who are having recurrent PTE have more thrombin generation? There, there definitely is data that there's, there's a potential hypercoagulable state. There's studies that have looked at the D-dimer, for example, mm -hmm. and have shown that if your D-dimer remains positive after three or six months of treatment, you clearly have a high risk of recurrence. The risk is lower with a negative result, not low enough to actually guide treatment decisions. Right. Uh, other biomarkers have been looked at, but there's so much variability between individuals that we haven't been able to really develop a, a, a biomarker that reliably predicts. Yeah. So, but I think it's probably quite likely, as an ACS, that there is a higher set point. Some altered set point. Absolutely. I mean, Excellent. It only makes sense, right? Yeah. Any, just, any kind of help on figuring out 10 versus 20? Who do you use it in? Hey, you know, that's a tricky question. As you know, we didn't compare. There was the, the two together. There weren't enough patients. We need thousands of patients to sure. make that comparison. So I think there's going to be a little, I think the advantage of it is there'll be some flexibility in what dose is used. Uh, there'll be patients who may be, um, for example, women who are having heavy menstrual periods on the 20 milligrams. You now feel comfortable switching them to 10 milligrams. Uh, 
people who are more active, maybe doing sports, where they want to continue to do skiing or non-contact sports, uh, we always are a little cautious in that patient population. Maybe they'd be better off with a 10 milligram. Again, just more flexibility, you know, in terms of the dose. So I think that a guy like me who wants to go lay on the couch should be just fine at 20. You'd be fine with 20, and that's okay. the tried and true uh, yeah. dose, and yeah. <laughs> uh, so it probably wouldn't bother changing you. Exactly. Yeah. Enjoy the couch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for joining us, and thanks to all of you for joining us here live from ACC 2017.